Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. That's the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under the chair in front of you, and you can open it to page 770. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from, from, from me is given to... God, he need not honor his father, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines of the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person." Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of the Lord. Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here and share the word of God with you. Good to see you. Uh, before I start, I just wanted to say thank you to the mystery person who sent Excedrin to my house. Um, I've watched enough criminal minds to be scared. No, no, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to thank you um, for that really kind act. I'm very humbled at all the people who reached out and is concerned for me. Um, I went to the doctor and I got a, a blood test done, so we'll see next week uh, what that shows. But I wanted to continue to encourage you as we grow and mature as a church that we want to submit ourselves to the Word of God. That's, that's the kind of people we are. And if you want to know more about our church, we are starting membership class uh, today, Room 202. Please join me there, and it'll be from 12 o'clock to around 1. And maybe you took it a long time ago. Maybe you want to do it again and go over some of the core beliefs that we have as a church. And so you're welcome to join. But if you've never heard it before and never taken a class with us, I encourage you to take that class with us. The second thing I wanted to remind you of is the Women's Retreat this coming Saturday want to encourage all the ladies to go, but I especially want to give a charge to all the men to be in prayer for our women and our sisters. And so let's keep them in prayer as they have this retreat. And uh, I believe their heart really is a heart that God has given them to be women of the word. 
So let's continue to keep them and this retreat in prayer. Let's pray together before we begin. Our God and Father, we ask you, imploring you, since all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you, to mercifully enlighten us by your Holy Spirit in the true understanding of your word, and to give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you and to serve and honor you as we should, so that we may glorify your holy name in all our living and edify our neighbor by our good example, rendering to God the love and obedience which faithful servants owe their masters and children their parents, since it has pleased you to graciously receive us among the number of your servants and children. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Do you think you're a good person? Do you think you're a good person? What makes you a good person? What makes you a good person? And you can have certain standards, like I help people, or I stand for the right causes, or, well, I'm not like the bad people. I'm not affiliated with that other evil or stupid political party. They may be some of the standards we use today in contemporary society. In fact, if you did an internet search, what makes you a good person? Uh, the top maybe dozen hits would be a list of what makes you a good person. It's like honesty, empathy, respect, and things of that nature. The Jews had another way of deciphering whether they were a good person, though. You were a good person if you were set apart. In other words, holy. To be a good person meant that you were a holy person. And the Israelites were special because they were set apart by God himself. And this was especially testified by their receiving of God's commandments, his word. We saw in last week's passage that what Jesus had, after what Jesus had done, walking on the water, he's in Gennesaret, and people were coming from all over to even get a glimpse of him to perhaps touch the hem of his robe, the tassels that would stick down from his long cloak, and if they touched it, they would be healed, no matter what it was. And we see all this touching and bumping into each other and coming into contact with each other, and that sets us up for the passage or pericope today. It says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, the first verse of this chapter begins with, Then connecting the prior instance with this current happening, the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem came to Jesus. Why is this important? Up until this point, Jesus had only dealt with local scribes and Pharisees. In chapter 15, that changes. This is notable because Jerusalem was the religious capital where you would imagine the top-notch trained lawyers and scribes resided and they were learned and they were trained. These are the big guns. And there they are. They came to Jesus. The Bible will note that these specific people came specifically to Jesus, and this is what they said. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash 
their hands when they eat. First of all, washing your hands before you eat is a good thing. I want to say that again. Washing your hands before you eat is a good thing. I don't understand it when people don't wash their hands, and especially after they use the toilet. Um, it doesn't matter if, it didn't, if you didn't get any on you. Please, please wash your hands. I know because I'm in a stall sitting, and I see you sitting next to me, and then you just walk out but I remember your shoes, so I know who you are. Please wash your hands. Okay, PSA is over. Is Jesus here against the washing of hands? The statement of washing of hands was predicated with the question of why they were breaking the tradition of the elders. The foundation of the question goes beyond basic hygiene. This isn't about basic hygiene. Jesus isn't against basic hygiene. Because of what predicated the question or the statement, the tradition of the elders must be understood. The tradition of the elders were orally passed down. They were codified in the second century in what we know to be now as the Mishnah. It's a collection of Jewish rabbinical writings, but before they were orally passed down, this is something that the Jews, especially the rabbinical authorities, were very proud of. This tradition of the elders were commentaries and teachings of the law. And by law, of course, we mean the law given by God, the Torah. They were understood to help the people of God stay set apart. And this is all connected to my first question. As the law intended, thereby affirming their standing as God's holy and select People, the law can be really difficult to understand at times, and that's why God gave them teachers and lawyers, Pharisees and scribes. And these were the guides that helped the people understand the law, and especially what it meant when it got confusing. Let me give you an, a quick example. Take an example in Exodus 16, which we went over as a church and in this verse 29 says, let no man go out of his place on the Sabbath day. Let no man go out of his place on the Sabbath day were instructions to the people of Israel, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness and manna had fell down from heaven and you are not supposed to go and gather manna on that day. On that day you are to do no, no work, so don't go out of your house to carry any burden as if to pick up manna. In fact, some people still did, and we saw that all the stuff rotted, and God was upset. But people wanted to understand, what does this mean, let no man go out of his place on a Sabbath day? So we need to interpret that, don't we? We need to understand, because now I'm, not, I'm, I'm putting the, my next line in quotes. Isn't the law all about interpretation? Isn't the law all about interpretation? Close quote. Okay, And so we need to interpret the law. And so this is what they did. What if we wanted to go out, but it was to do a good deed? 
you know, we want to help the poor, but it just happens to be on a Sabbath. And people back then would be like, why do you have to do something good on a Sabbath? Just wait till Monday. But what if there was a poor person, you know? Here's the hypothetical. What if there was a poor person and that person was starving and they needed to eat that day? But if you carried something out of the house, let's say even this bottle of water, and this was the doorway of my house, if I carried this out of the house, then I have now taken up a burden, even if it was for a good deed, to give this glass of water to someone who needed it. And so thereby, I have now broken the laws, what they understood. So this is what the oral tradition or the tradition of the elders did. They started to figure out, how can I continue to do a pious act while keeping the Sabbath? So this Mishnaic tractate or this understanding of Sabbath is what they start to figure out and they started to make these rules. If a poor, and so what if we ask the poor person to come in? So if there was this poor person outside the house, it's like, why don't you come in and then take this water? By coming into someone else's house and picking up this water, then they are also doing work because it's not their home. So if it's in your home and you pick it up, it's not work because it's in your home. But if you go to someone else's home and you do pick something up, that's work. So thereby, you are also breaking the Sabbath. It gets very complex, right? And they don't want to break the Sabbath. So this is what they could do. I could pick up the water. If this is my home, I could pick up this water because it's my home. It's not work. But I can't take it outside the house because then it would be work. I'd be carrying a burden outside. So I'd stand by the doorway holding this water. The poor person could come or the needy person can come and they could extend their hand through the door. And by extending the hand through the door, they're not really picking up anything. And I could just place the water into their hand and they can just go like this. And now they haven't done any work in my house. That was an example of how they could keep the law. They would come up with these very specific details. And if you thought of that, you're like, I went to Cambridge Law. I'm smart. They were very proud of themselves. Man, who thought of this stuff? I thought of it. Man, I was genius. We're going to pass this down. And they were very proud of the tradition of the elders, so much so that they would place the law of God, and then this elder tradition, they would place it on equal ground. Because to follow the law, you need to understand this tradition, because this tradition is what you need to interpret it properly and follow it well, thereby fulfilling your call as a holy person, someone set apart an Israelite, not a Gentile, not someone from the outside, but God's people. This is the tradition of the elders. And it was something to cause a lot of pride in the teachers. Because when it comes to the law, it's all about how you interpret the law, right? So these expert lawyers from Jerusalem come ready. And they come ready to pick a fight and debate with Jesus. Jesus answers them in verse 3. And he goes, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Jesus calling the tradition of the elders your tradition makes a clear distinction between that tradition and the commandment of God. He does not play on that same level as they were playing. They were ready, like, come at me with what you got. I know the law inside and out. I'm ready to challenge you on this washing of hands. They had a, they had a law where you would wash hands. If it's one hand, you would pour water, so it would be running water, and then it had to go up to your wrist. And if you had two hands, it needs to be a little more, and then if you wash it, then your hands were clean. And they wanted to say this is in keeping with the Levitical law of cleaning yourself or cleansing your hands as a priestly duty, but they extended it to all the Jews. They, they were ready to go. They knew the law. But Jesus goes, this is your tradition. And he makes a distinction between your tradition and the commandment of God. And he takes the example of a commandment, honor your father and your mother, and compares it with the tradition that they established. A son would have to take care of his parents when they got old. And so let's say that to live, he needed, um, let's say there's, there's this much money or just wealth that a son had needed to live he would need about yay much right maybe a a three quarters he's not that rich and then he would have maybe a quarter of his wealth set aside and if he didn't need that much in the quarter that should automatically go to the parents to live otherwise the parents wouldn't be able to live But they devised a tradition or this understanding of the law that if you, if the son goes, actually, this part is korban. Korban, which means this is now a sacrifice. If they, if the son declares this quarter that he really doesn't need as korban, then he doesn't have to give it to his parents. That's the tradition that Jesus is referring to. So not to honor your parents to break this, you've made this rule or this tradition to say uh, someone can just say, this is korban, and not give it to their parents when their parents needed it to live. And he's saying by doing that and letting people do that, you are directly making the word of God void because the word of God specifically states, honor your father and your mother. And just to do what they wanted to do, they started making these little changes in their understanding of the law. We see that happen all the time. This isn't just back in the day. Our understanding is, is, is this of the law. It's like, well, what about this situation? You know, I want to give it to God. Not right now. Not right now. He, he didn't give it to God right now. It's korban, meaning he set it aside to later perhaps give it to God. So the parents are suffering and dying now, setting it aside later. And one may think that this is a small thing that Jesus is bringing up. You're talking about washing of hands. Why are you bringing this up, Jesus? But the small thing that Jesus is bringing up has a massive verdict. For the sake of tradition, they have made void the word of God. The very thing that the tradition was meant to uphold 
made it void. Tragic? No. It's not tragic. It's like a man who was obsessed with this woman who didn't love him back. So he would go and murder her so that she wouldn't be able to love anyone else. And the man going to the public, all I wanted was her love. And if you ask the word tragic, is this story tragic? I would say, no, it's not tragic. It's evil. And Jesus goes, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you. That means he prophesied of you well when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. By quoting Isaiah chapter 29, Jesus is showing the Pharisees that they never loved God. You never loved her. Stop lying to yourself and trying to fool others that you did because Jesus sees right through it. The judgment pronounced in Isaiah 29 were, the, were for the people of Isaiah's day. What does Jesus mean now by saying it's prophecy? You see, the irony here is that the Jews of Jesus' day thought of themselves as preserving ancient and holy traditions. But Jesus is saying that what they were actually preserving was the spirit of those that Isaiah was directly criticizing and calls them, you hypocrites. The first time he makes a reference directly at someone saying, you hypocrites. It's kind of interesting, right? You have this delegation the big guns from Jerusalem come. And everybody's like, oh, these are the big guys. They know so much more than me. I am not worthy. And Jesus directly challenges them and even calls them hypocrites. And in verse 10 it says, And then he called the people to him and said, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into a mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Up until now, Jesus' words with the Pharisees and scribes were somewhat private, but now he calls all the people around him so that he can teach them the same things, the very same things that he was talking to the Pharisees about. The word defile in Greek is the word koinoi, and the specific literal translation of koinoi, which is translated as defile here, or to make unclean in other translations, the literal translation is just to make common, make ordinary. That's what koinoi is, and that's what is translated here as defile. To make ordinary is to defile. In the beginning, I had talked about someone that was being made good or holy. What made the Jews set apart or holy? And what makes you common, meaning what makes you unholy? And if you are unholy, you are not of God, thereby making you evil. That's the understanding that the Pharisees got from this. And this is what he is going to teach. By Jesus saying, hear and understand, he gathers the people and goes, hear and understand. He's not going to say something cryptic here. And this is something that people that were listening to him should have plainly understood. 
And we know that this was something that the Pharisees understood, at least to a certain degree, because we see later that the disciples come back to Jesus and, be like, and say they were offended by what you said. Then the disciples, in verse 12, came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Jesus answers, and he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. We've gone over the parable of the weeds. And the disciples should have understood what Jesus was referencing when he talked about every plant that the Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. But right after that statement, here is the judgment. The judgment is here. Let them alone. This fierce judgment is reminiscent of Romans chapter 1, and it is pronounced by Jesus himself. Those who choose not to follow Jesus do not understand the scriptures and thus are blind to it. And to claim that you lead others will invariably lead you and them, the people that you are leading, to both fall into a pit. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. Let them alone is a fierce judgment. In verse 15, however, Peter says to him, Explain the parable to us. Explain the parable. What do you mean by parable? Parable meaning the part about the food going in and what comes out. What does that mean? And this is what Jesus says now to Peter and the other disciples because he was representing them. And he goes, are you also still without understanding? Without understanding is actually just one word and it just means dumb. And it's, are you still dumb or dumb? dull, uncomprehending. It's kind of harsh, so people put it into two words, without understanding. The same word in Romans when it's used is translated as foolishness. Foolishness. Are you still a fool? Are you still dull? Peter, the spokesman, asks Jesus to explain this parable to them. Parable meaning about the statement about food entering, your stomach bit, and what does this really mean? And Jesus it leads Jesus to them, or asking them, are you still without understanding? Are you still so dull? You know, being dumb or foolish has nothing to do with IQ, but everything to do with understanding. The fool in Proverbs is the man without understanding. That man is doomed. How can someone be without understanding and dull then? Well, stubbornness, stubbornness. Sometimes we refuse to see the blatantly obvious because we are so given into the lie and deception. This would warrant the reactionary response that Jesus would give to the disciples to show his shocking disappointment with them. For even the Pharisees knew enough, at least they knew enough to be offended. And the disciples didn't even know what was going on. And it's also to convey to them the enormity of their foolishness. But no matter what, no matter, Jesus still explains it to his disciples. In verse 17, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? This is true biologically. I mean, 
There was no bio 101 classes back then, and Jesus obviously knew everything. Whatever goes into a man's mouth is eventually excreted. The body takes what it needs. As this is just one big tube in the body, right? The body takes what it needs, and then the rest is expelled. Jesus isn't talking about bio 101, though. And he goes further on to explain. Biology is not the point. In verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. It's spiritual. That's the point. What comes out of your mouth is what determines your spiritual state because it's what's coming out of your heart. And what comes out of the heart? What is Jesus, what is Jesus specifically saying? What comes out of the heart? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what comes out of the heart that defiles you again. Whether or not you wash your hands before you eat is not the point. And perhaps this is why the disciples had such a hard time getting this. It's like, washing hands is still good, right? Like, some of you will undoubtedly think that and say maybe, hey, isn't, who isn't washing their hands after they use the toilet? I have to know, Pastor Eugene, because I shook hands with a lot of people today. And you completely miss the infinitely bigger picture and the more dire point that this is about eternal death. What is the point? What comes out of you is what the Lord is looking at. And what comes out of you? What comes out of you? He says, what comes out of a man? It's evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things that are coming out of you. Starting from evil thoughts, we see a straight recalling of the Ten Commandments after honor your father and mother, which is just brilliant. Like Jesus is God, and he's just going from uh, the Fifth Commandment all the way down from 6 to 10 in its singular translation in, uh, in English, but these are all plural in Greek. It's murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, or porneia, where we get pornography from. Thefts, lyings, slanders. The slanders, that specific, that exact word, slanders, is blasphemy, which is where we get the word blasphemy. That's slanders, which would have alluded to both blaspheming against God and blaspheming against one another, which is gossip and slander. These are the things that come out of you, is what Jesus is saying. Wait, wait, is he saying that we're all evil? Yes. This is nothing new. He says it in chapter 7. You who are evil, and yet you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. That's the point. We are evil. We think we know what the law dictates and commands. We make our own traditions and interpret it in a way so that we feel good about ourselves but not only do these traditions not save, the traditions that we develop in every generation, every culture has its traditions and interpretations. Not only do they not save, 
they specifically and explicitly break or void the commands of God. What makes you a good person is the question I asked in the beginning of this sermon. What makes you a good person? The answer is you're not. This isn't me saying it. The scriptures show us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we talked about tradition. We talked about understanding the law, interpretation, everything that you do. I don't care if we are so proud that we can hold the water here. Someone extends their hand. We're like, woo, we're so smart. Who would have thought of that? Only geniuses and be proud of ourselves. We do not understand scripture and we void and break the commands of God. Are we a good person? You are not. So where is the gospel then? Where's the good news? Because isn't the title the gospel versus tradition? The good news is shown in the person that called the people to himself and said, hear and understand. To understand the scriptures is to understand Christ. Without understanding Christ, you cannot understand the scriptures. You are not good. You are dull. But here's the good news. Jesus does not keep you this way. He is the one that gives you understanding. Not only that, that understanding shows us that Jesus, for an evil generation, for an evil people, would give up his life so that we could know him and love him and be with him forever the scriptures show us this. God is the creator and originator of all things. He made us in his image to follow after him and to love him. But all of mankind rebelled against him, and now we live in sin. We want to make our own utopia with our own understanding and interpretation, but without God. And from generation to generation, we have exacted evil upon the world. But instead of us being letting be, meaning instead of us letting us be by God, which would have been a just punishment, instead of God saying to, saying to us, let them be, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to save us, to give us understanding that Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God become flesh to us to know and to love and be with him forever. And he is the author and perfecter of our faith. His guarantee of this promise is given to us in the Holy Scriptures and the giving to us of his Holy Spirit that he gives to us so that we can carry out what he has commanded and that we can cry out that Jesus is king and truly worship him, not only with our lips but with our lives. This is why what we are doing right now here in this very place is so amazing. In our gathered worship, we are reminding and proclaiming, but we are reminding ourselves of this very gospel. For the disciple, the gospel is the most undeserved, but the most precious gift that we have. In every single element in our service, we are conveying in gratitude and in worship the amazing grace that we have received and celebrating God's goodness and faithfulness to his people. That changes everything. That's why we can say 
not just with our lips, but with our hearts, that God is truly great and he deserves to be praised. The only way that you'll get to this point and see this is if God doesn't let you be and you see Jesus Christ. And the only way that you see them is through the scriptures and what the scriptures are showing us Jesus to be. And that's why we can just exclaim when we read the scriptures, isn't he amazing? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he marvelous? Because I am dull. I would not have gotten that. I would have thought with my own things, I wash my hands in the bathroom. I'm better than those guys. Those guys are disgusting. Seriously, they're disgusting. And yet not thinking for one moment about the eternal consequences that I had by just speaking slander. Jesus saves me from myself and my sin. And Jesus is here to save you. When he goes, come, gather, hear, and understand. This is not just a simple saying. This is a marvelous call he has to his disciples. So when we gather, that's the heart and attitude we gather in. Because Jesus is saying to you, come, hear, and understand who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what the gospel is in light of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.